My name is Jordana Rothberg, and today you're listening to Multi-Housing News' Multi-Families Top Marketers podcast. Today for Top Marketers, I have the honor of speaking with Ashley Sinclair about the importance of integrating sales teams with marketing teams. Ashley is the Executive Vice President, Marketing and Brand Loyalty at Village Green Holdings. For nearly 15 years, Ashley has worked her way to the executive level at Village Green, excelling in several sales and marketing roles at the company. She currently oversees eight regional sales and marketing directors and supports the operations team directly through customer experience initiatives and development opportunities for on-site staff. All that being said, let's jump in. Ashley, I'd love to hear your thoughts on why you believe sales and marketing teams work better together as opposed to separated in the industry. Absolutely. So I actually started as a sales consultant at Village Green renting apartments and um when I started in the role, it was my early 20s, and we were given this very beautiful kind of marketing collateral package, brochures, I mean, you name it. Also, um, back when I was a sales consultant, you know, it was, (laughs) feels like forever ago. So the digital world hadn't quite exploded quite yet. But um, we were given all this very beautiful stuff. And obviously, the client spent a lot of money on branding and marketing for their asset. And there was a major disconnect. Um, while the brochure was beautiful and printed on a great cardstock and all that, it didn't really equate to what the prospect or the you know consumer, so to speak, was looking for. So we kind of started to get to the point where we didn't really use this beautiful, flashy material um, just because it just became something extra they had to kind of walk away with. Um, and we got in a little bit of hot water with the, um, with the owner when he came on to the asset and was like, why is everything in the closet? Um, So kind of a lesson right there without me realizing it was, if you're not talking to those who are selling and you're creating as a marketer a narrative or a hypothesis, but you're never, you know, kind of fact checking or checking in to see, you know, what is the feedback from the prospect? um, It starts to develop a disconnect. Um, And you start to really not speak to the needs of the client. So when you get into return on investment, um, it's really not there. And I think that for me, um, I worked at Village Green. I worked at multiple different types of assets, uh, different demographics, different clients. And I continue to see that. And really, I think that for me, it was kind of a aha moment where you know, it was more like, why don't you guys talk to us before you're creating this? Like, why don't you guys check in after, you know, we're, we're in the middle of sales, so to speak, to see, you know, what is the prospect? What is their objection? That was probably, you know, for me, the, the best thing I can say is if you have marketers who are very talented, you know, putting together these narratives and this idea and this hypothesis and the story, but you're not including your sales team, Ultimately, it might work in the beginning, but everything evolves and things change and you really need that kind of cohesive collaboration between the two, in my opinion. Absolutely. That makes so much sense. Thank you for explaining it that way. And once you saw those teams sort of start working together as a cohesive unit, could you explain how the ROI potentially improved there? Yeah. So in this today, actually, still, we have our our regional sales and marketing directors, and they work with any sort of ad agency. Um, Preferably, we have an in-house, which makes it a little bit easier, but any client who has maybe an agency they prefer, um, or they also might do things in-house, 
the marketing directors are really getting in there and they are, you know, working through data. That way it's not an opinion or like, oh, you know, I, I would rather that be green. Um, but they're working through data based on who we've identified as the demographic at the asset or the desired demographic. And then through that, they are working with the sales team on site. They're making sure, you know, based on them shopping the competition, based on them taking maybe a few phone calls or responding to e-leads or, or whatever, they're then giving that information to kind of the ad agency or the actual marketing team, so to speak, mm -hmm. and really just making sure that, especially in today's world, I mean, let's be honest, no one reads anymore. So those lengthy brochures <laughs> that right. are in 12 font, um, you know, that's kind of a thing of the past. So it's quick information or straight scotch, so to speak. And what is kind of the five most dynamic things about that property? And then why are we not highlighting them? So I think when you talk about ROI, what the client is feeling is they have a team of people who are dedicated to designing and creating, but then they also are backed up by a team of people who are delivering information. And what that really does is it kind of gets everybody to endorse or believe in the marketing campaign versus kind of it being shoved down their throat. Like, here's why you're going to tell them that the pool is the best pool versus them saying, no, we believe we absolutely have the best pool. So there's some conviction there. <laughs> um, so I think as simple as something like that is where our clients are seeing it pay off versus the sales team saying, you know, this, this imagery, this collateral, this, you know, this social ad, it doesn't equate to what I'm looking for. And then the marketing team getting very disgruntled, like, you know, how long it took us to put that ad together. <laughs> we went through instead, it becomes a little bit more of um, a collaboration or a tweaking or an editing based on, you know, how are we doing with the actual sale of the apartment? I mean, are things moving? Are we hitting goals or are we sitting stagnant and why what's happening there? Right. Absolutely. And so to kind of go along that, as opposed to having, you know, this disgruntled communication that you were mentioning and having the collaboration go through the entire process for the client, how do you best go about integrating sales with marketing from the very start before the client even, you know, shows you the project? I think that's a great question. So everybody at Village Green, I think, you know, again, I, I don't want to act like it's utopia. We always right. through. <laughs> of course. Um, but everybody at Village Green, at least, I will say we've worked really hard to kind of create chalk lines. Um, mm -hmm. so everyone can, you know, really be part of something and contribute without the stepping on toes, so to speak. You really want to have kind of a meeting of the minds and, and a kickoff prior to engaging an ad agency or the client. And again, using data is what I can say is, is the game changer for us. Sitting in a room with a bunch of, and I'm a salesperson and I'm a marketer, so I feel like I can say this, with a bunch of very creative people, if there's no agenda or chalk lines, it can get very chaotic. A lot mm -hmm. of fun, but very chaotic, a lot of talking over each other and excitement, et cetera. So to have the kickoff meeting and kind of have each person on the team play their role. So you might have somebody who went out and physically shopped competition. You may have somebody who researched online reputations of the competitors. You might have somebody else pull the demographics for the area, relocation trends, things of that nature. Having that meeting where everyone comes and kind of presents their findings and then we start to create like, okay, now how does this translate to a phone call? When the salesperson picks up the phone, how does that work? 
what's the story, what's the narrative, and you really build that together. We typically are seeing success where sales and marketing is kind of pitching the client on how we're going to do this, how is the asset going to be positioned in the market and why. And again, it's not really our opinion, so to speak, because we're backing up everything we have with data. Um, and again, it's a hypothesis. We don't know. I mean, I always say the prospect is always going to be the smartest person. They are always going to think of something we didn't. And we'll usually find that out within the first visit or two. <laughs> um, so we just have to be ready to be nimble. Um, and again, kicking it off that way so everyone is part of it and contributing and hearing each other out and collaborating. Truly, I think, and again, it sounds silly, like, well, that's a duh, but when you don't have that as an organization, you don't have your sales team and your marketing folks and your ad agency kind of in that together and that kickoff, I do think that, you know, you start to see egos, big personalities, different pressure points, and that can get very toxic. Right. Absolutely. And these egos and different factors that sort of play in here, of course, they can become hugely beneficial when working together with sales and marketing. But on the flip side of that, I'd also love to hear your thoughts or any objections you may have about potentially a negative trend or outcome when it comes to integrating. So exactly what I kind of started with, it's a good and a bad double-edged sword. You definitely want to have some chalk lines. And I say chalk lines because at any point, you know, it is good to kind of get in each other's lane respectfully, very mm-hmm. respectfully. Um, and that really starts with trust. So that's probably a whole separate podcast, a whole separate <laughs> topic. But, you know, as a leader, you really need to focus in on building trust amongst the team, not just with you as the leader, because that allows for people to kind of take a deep breath and they just, again, hopefully want to be part of it. They want to contribute. They don't need to be the winner. They don't need to be the star of the show. They see that the mission in front of us is is bigger than just them. But what can, you know, be the negative side of that is Typically, again, sales and marketing people are very creative, they're very ambitious, and without kind of that trust or those chalk lines, you can get passion, and through passion, sometimes you can get bad behavior, or, you know, I would say people maybe lose their temper a little bit, get frustrated, you know, you're not understanding what I'm saying, and the biggest piece of that is marketing is subjective, I mean, there's nothing that you can really point to, to say, no, this is hundred percent accurate versus, you know, someone who's in the financial side of our business. I mean, two plus two is always four. You really can't debate that, but you can definitely debate what shade of green, you know, the ad should have been. <laughs> so <laughs> I would say that um, on the negative side, if you bring sales and marketing in, everyone kind of has to know their roles. And you really, I almost would say it's more of like, coaching, like with a whistle, like old school, like you blow the whistle on people and you have to say, okay, guys, let's retreat back to our corners. Um, (laughs) I think that, you know, so-and-so is trying to bring this to light. And I think you guys are getting too antsy, like let them finish. So I think in the beginning, you really have to understand your team as the leader, understand the personalities, what drives them, what their passion is, try to get them in the right seat on the bus on the sales and or marketing team. And then as a leader, you you need to be flexible. Like I started in sales and it was kind of coined that like I was in sales. So I'd stay in sales. It was really hard for me to break into the marketing side. I don't think I was taken very seriously, but I think that, you know, knowing that people on the team, it can change the seat on the bus or the project or the client or the asset may also inspire something where people switch it up a little bit. But I would definitely say, 
The negative side is you have to have extremely strong leadership. You really need to know your team. And in conjunction with that, you really need to work to build trust among your teammates. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Thank you for explaining it that way. Of course. And once you have that leader in place and the strong team in place, I would love to hear about what you think some of the best practices are for balancing design, you know, the shade of green with meaningful (laughs) and informative information. Yeah, absolutely. So once you kind of have everything, let's say, working in the right direction. I think that the other piece of that to answer the question is when you're working as a team and each person, like I said, kind of has their role or their responsibility, when you're bringing it together, I think that as the leader, you kind of have to allow people to throw up on you a little bit, meaning let them get it out. And then I always tell people, we need to have plan A, B, C, and D, right? Like we all love plan A. And we're obsessed and we think this is gold and and it's just, you know, it's going to change multifamily forever. (laughs) We're that confident. Right. Anything can happen. And I think the pandemic really taught us that, right? Like anything can happen. We had so many campaigns ready to go out. And then in March of 2020, I mean, they were irrelevant. Some I would even say became tone deaf. So, I mean, you have to be ready. So through kind of letting everyone go and really becoming as as a leader or someone in the room, just a note taker, you can find a tagline, a phrase, anything just off something somebody is saying. So I would say kind of best practices is listening, taking lots of notes. And when you think you have it, push yourself to keep going, push the team to keep going. Even if it's not within that marketing campaign or that sales tactic, it doesn't mean that you're not going to need it in a week or two. And as a marketer, I think we all know, you know, what worked yesterday will not work today. And what was absolute trash last week is now the best thing that's ever happened to us. So (laughs) just knowing that, you know, again, it's something is always going to come after you in terms of whether it's, you know, economic externals that we can't control. If it's a election year, I mean, that totally changes everything. And then also with social media, I mean, we can be ready to launch a campaign tomorrow and something can change in an algorithm or whatever. We need to be ready to go. So I would say best practices, again, let the team just absolutely throw up. I know that sounds awful. Throw up on you, give you all their ideas, keep them going. Just try to have some structure so people don't start to fall asleep or play on their phones, Mm -hmm. but just keep writing it down and keep forcing the team to keep going. Like your idea was really good today. I loved it. I'll see you on Friday. I want a better idea. And if you really challenge people in a safe environment, it can be a lot of fun for them too. Absolutely. And I'd love to hear about one of these times where you have challenged your team at Village Green Holdings to sort of come together and create a campaign. And I would love to hear about what the outcome was for the company. So we actually launched, this is probably the best example. We launched an internal brand called the Emerald Collection. And what it essentially is, just so it it makes a little bit of sense, we noticed at Village Green an opportunity where at some of our kind of A plus high-end assets, where you're seeing extraordinarily high rents, therefore you're attracting kind of a high net worth individual as the renter, we just noticed, not that our people aren't incredibly talented in terms of the management side, But there's definitely a gap. I mean, when you're in your late 20s and you're dealing with somebody who is very well established, probably a C-suite title, if not maybe retired or, you know, potentially an investor, entrepreneur, these kind of individuals 
are experiencing the finer things in life at that point for the most part. And that is subjective and I know that, but you know, multimillionaires definitely more than likely aren't staying at the Holiday Inn when they travel. Right. So when you have somebody who is essentially orchestrating the building in which they live every day, you can see these gaps in communication and expectations. And, and again, it's subjective. No one's wrong and people are trying their best, but you have a whole clientele living with you every day who stays at the Four Seasons, who you know might charter a private yacht. So how do we match that experience for them and where they live? So we launched the Emerald Collection more or less as a training and mentorship for the on-site staff who are running these buildings. It doesn't mean that at Village Green, the other buildings who aren't maybe an A-plus you know, asset-wise aren't getting that attention and support, but it's really focusing on the soft skills and the experience. So in launching the brand, you know, again, I'm going to be a real person. If you're an associate, you're like, great, here's one more thing I need to learn about. And what does this mean for me? And oh my gosh, more classes. So what we really did is we came up with kind of the hypothesis. I always call it the baby. I'm like, so here's kind of the, I, this is the baby in the incubator. Like, what do you guys think? Like, check it out. And we went through multiple different groups, kind of focus groups, and we didn't tell them what we were doing. Like, we didn't say, oh, we're going to launch this, you know, this brand internally, and this is what it is. We really talked high level, almost like we were buying it from somewhere else. We got raw feedback from our associates, our director level, our executive level. We even went to a few of our clients that we trust. What do you think about this? You know, and I just let them react. And most of the clients were like, how much does it cost? Um, <laughs> associates were like, what do I have to do? What more do I have to do now? And then, you know, we would ask them like, why wouldn't you subscribe to something like this? Why, what, what seems difficult or, cause you have to understand once things get overcomplicated, nobody's going to subscribe to it. And right. that's just everyday life. So in doing that, I mean, it probably took us almost two years until we could actually launch it internally. And by that point, everyone was pretty much on board or comfortable, had been exposed to it. So it was met with, you know, I would say very much an openness versus here's another thing I have to do in an endorsement that I actually didn't fully expect. And then in addition to that, we made sure to, you know, give people shout outs where they contributed or made sure that they would, we would tell them like, just so you know, this was because of you, this was because of your feedback. So again, I think the associates at Village Green played a role in kind of producing the Emerald Collection. And therefore it was met, I think, with a little bit more pride than, you know, some other maybe initiatives that we've rolled out that they felt like, huh. Here's another thing I got to do. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like in the end, it became something everybody was looking forward to more. Yeah. And I think when, you know, the people feel like, again, people just want to be part of something, even if they're not on the sales and marketing team. And, and I think that, you know, really creates kind of this dynamic think tank when you allow others to venture in and you're not protective over it. Absolutely. I love the idea of the dynamic think tank. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Ashley. And thank you to all of our listeners of Top Multifamily Marketers. We'll see you next month.